Welcome to At The Table. We're four young Christians exploring the Bible together and at the moment we're looking through the Easter story. So I hope you enjoy joining with us on this podcast. You may notice it sounds a bit different this week because we've had to adapt our recording because of the coronavirus situation. But with me is Joe. Hello. Beth. Hi. And John. Hello. And I'm Lucy. So we're all still here. Today we're going to be looking at the story of the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus' arrest. And we're going to be reading from Luke 22, verses 39 to 53. John, do you want to read for us? Yeah, John. I can do it. I've been learning to read. Oh, good. Yeah. Are you doing doing it from your picture Bible? Are you just going to describe the pictures? That'll be telling. Okay. Um, (laughs) So, Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Next bit is called the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Thank you, Jonathan. You're welcome. Do you know what stood out for me most in that verse? It was right at the start where it talked really graphically about his sweat. Mm. (laughs) Such as me, that really stood out. And then I I didn't hear the few verses after that because I was just thinking about sweat the size of, what was it? Beads of... Um, drops of something. Like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's that quite, is very visual. It's very graphic, yeah. isn't it? And I'm glad they've mentioned that because it's a very human issue, isn't it? We all get sweaty sometimes. Yeah. You know, you don't want to admit it, but we do. And uh, it's nice to that it's acknowledged in such a... <laughs> yeah. um, one Doesn't he actually um, sweat blood? Isn't that something that they, they say he actually did? Well... There is lots of dispute amongst this, really, among lots of people, whether because in my translation, it says drops like blood. But um, there is there is a lot of um, speculation amongst critics and scholars and commentaries about this, because apparently and I remember this from my uni days, because we specifically did this the Garden of Gethsemane as a in one of my theology seminars. We did this story. We did this section of the Holy Week and we talked a lot about this and 
I don't, I'm not a scientist, I'm not into biology or anything, but there was something about um, the veins and how sometimes it can be darker to almost look like blood, something like that. But I don't know Gosh. what it is, but that can happen. But it's very, it is criticised and there is a lot of, is it, isn't it? But I think it doesn't say of blood, it says like blood. But yeah, yeah, mine says like, I, but... Um, even if we take it as a metaphor, I thought it was so accurate. It just reminded me totally of like going to the gym or something and it literally feels like blood's pouring out of my <laughs> face because I'm so unfit. <laughs> yeah. Mine says like drops of blood. Mm. Um, what was your translation, John? The English Standard Version. Yes, we are. How did it describe it again? So it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great bloods of <laughs> great drops of blood falling down to the ground okay yeah it's like but saying it is blood but it's you know it's it, it's making that really graphic thing almost like he is in pain and he's i mean we do have that kind of you know when you're really nervous about something you get the nervous sweats don't you your palms get really sweaty mm-hmm. i mean i'm not saying you're, you're going to be this sweaty but <laughs> <laughs> Kind of, it's quite, you know, if you're going to a job interview or something, you do get that that level of anxiety before, didn't you? So I think it's really important, like that little reference there of talking about the sweat, because it's um, like a reminder that Jesus is human. Because some people take the view that he wasn't really human, but most Christians think it's really important that we understand that Jesus was human and he was God at the same time. And I read earlier this week just that little part of the story because often it's often known as the shortest verse in the bible obviously depends which language and translation you're using but um in the story of when lazarus dies and the shortest verse is jesus wept Mm. um and i hadn't ever thought about it like this before but i saw a commentary that said it was really important to know that jesus cried because it's such a human response to something to shed tears and it it just reminds me to see this part now in in this part of Luke that we're reading about him sweating too and it's just these little constant reminders that he's human and the pain that he feels is a physical pain as well as a emotional uh spiritual pain yeah yeah I just so I found um some of my uni notes on this and two things the first thing was about the blood it said about how some part sometimes blood from veins can mix in the sweat to make it look darker so that's what it was that's what i wrote anyway <sighs> yeah gross so, so um but the second part um of what you were saying joe about the signs of jesus being so human so i remember i wrote my essay on this because obviously it's like we've been saying so many times that you've read this story you've heard this story you know over in church every year and you read it, but when we read through this, and obviously I was in, a, I was reading it more critically as well. But I found a really powerful moment when I was reading this when I was at uni, and that that moment when Jesus is later on when he's talking about um, asking the cup to be taken from him, and he's kind of at this point of it says like despair and anguish is the words that are used on my translation. In that he was that moment, he was so human, mm. and it was all. It was at that moment that Jesus began, like Jesus felt the things that we feel. And I'd never felt closer in my faith to Jesus 
than I had then because in that moment I realized you know although my fears and anxiety are nothing compared to what Jesus was about to face there are so many things that people are scared of you know in this world you know the Christians that are against persecution or fear of death or anything all the things that we fear in life whether it be minuscule or an anxiety disorder or it is death Jesus understands that because he felt that Mm. and when people say to you you can't say that I can say but he did Mm. you know people say God doesn't understand but he does because Jesus did it and through that the relationship between God and us was able to be restored in my opinion Mm. because before God hadn't really felt that if we believe that Jesus as part of the triune God you know was fully God and fully man and Holy Spirit then we believe that God felt that too. So although Jesus was able to experience those human emotions, he was also, God was enabled to feel the same things that we are going to feel now and the people will feel in the, in, in the future. Mm. So I love that moment because I connect with it so much and that Jesus felt the things that I continuously feel. And it's just a, reassur- it's a reassurance, but it's also, it's how it connects with me. Like it resonates really deeply. Mm. I think both um, passages really show two sides of Jesus. I think the first passage always reminds me of that humanness of Jesus. So like even the end of it where he's like, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into it. It's almost like, you know, when you're anxious and you're a bit, bit you know, under that, you, you get quite aggy, didn't you? And I think yeah. almost, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, like, oh, why are you sleeping? Like, get up. We need to do something right. You know, you need to rise and pray. I think there's all this whole thing is like the human side. And then you look at the next bit, you know, healing someone's ear and saying, don't strike out. Even in that moment when he really feels like, actually, I really want to give Judas a slap. <laughs> but he doesn't. He just kind of reprimands him in a way. And then one of the disciples who we know is Peter from other, other books, isn't it? it? Is Peter. You know, he then heals the ear. So you've got the kind of God side as well as the human side. So it's proper roller coaster that bit as well. Like imagine losing your ear and then like a minute later back, you're like, I don't know how to feel. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think I feel like what stands out to me a lot in this bit is the contrasts. Mm. So um, it's like a contrast between what Jesus might want and what his father wants. And then there's the contrast between um, the disciples sleeping and... Jesus coming in and saying, like, no, you need to do something. You need to pray. And then there's the bit just at the end of that passage about um, you're treating me as if I'm a dangerous criminal, but I'm not. I think that's another contrast. And then I think the bit that contrasts most to me is the fact that Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Because a kiss is such a... Like, I think when we listen to it in our kind of Western context, or actually probably our British context, like a kiss almost seems over the top Mm. but actually it's more like I guess like a European kind of kiss now like a greeting kind of kiss but even then it's such a positive affectionate thing even even when it's done quite formally it's like a gesture of I really respect you or it's a pleasure to see you or a pleasure to meet you that kind of thing so that contrast with what it was on the surface and what it actually represents which is a betrayal is quite striking i don't know what your translation say but my translation in part it's verse 48 but jesus asked him judas are you betraying the son of man with a kiss question mark and when when you read that you're like oh like 
Yeah. This, even Jesus, I mean, we can't, Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed and he knew Judas was the one to go do it because we read last week that he said to him, go and do it. But it's almost like Jesus saying, you're betraying me, but you're also going to do it with the kiss, the thing of, Mm. you know, a sign of love and affection, a sign that we are friends, a sign that we know each other. It's Mm. almost like it deepens the betrayal, doesn't it? Yes, it's kind of cowardly, isn't it? It's like, it, it doesn't come up to him and like kind of go this is the guy you want it's like even up to that final moment he's like in this act but how often do we all do that like maybe not to the extent of betrayal but like somebody who's annoyed you or upset you instead of just having it out with them we just you know smile along and oh hello how are you but actually you want to be like oh you're so whatever (laughs) but we and we don't do we we just all go along with the normal sort of routines which for them would have been a kiss we go along with the normal social interactions would have been, which for them would have been a kiss, and they just like almost forget your gripes because you don't want to offend or upset or just create tension. Mm. So yeah, I think we're all guilty of that to an extent. Mm. But then also, in my version, my translation's a little bit different. Which translation have you got? This is the Passion, and it says uh, so from verse forty-seven for a bit of context. No sooner had he finished speaking when suddenly a mob approached and right in front of the mob was his disciple Judas. He walked up close to Jesus and greeted him with a kiss for he had agreed to give the religious leaders a sign saying the one I kiss is the one to seize. So I guess that's a bit more explicit in why he's doing this kiss. So actually if you take this translation he's not kissing Jesus as a sign of anything. He's doing it to signal to the religious leaders the right person. So I guess that gives it a completely different meaning doesn't it yeah yeah then i never know which translation you're supposed to like listen to if you see what i mean i always get conflicted by this because i think these verses can be so different just with different translations so should you believe them all or is one of them like wrong and one's more right i don't really know how how to judge that personally yeah i think i'd heard a lot quite a few translations say what you just said Lucy in that that Judas told them that it would be a sign so I think we do have to take that that is something that is said a lot and I think maybe our translations just don't use it as it's not admitted and like unimportant for this translation but yeah it's interesting isn't it that in my head I can almost see it, you know like in a movie when somebody is about you know like when you watch something and you know that they're a bad person and you know that they're like the betrayer or, or whatever. And you've known this for the episode and all the things they're doing. But the person doesn't. And then they mm. do that act. It's almost... It's like dramatic head, irony, isn't it? Yeah, I can imagine that walking up moment when Jesus kisses... Judas, sorry, kisses Jesus. It's like that. Oh, like it really... It just is like a really powerful like... And you can imagine the music turning like a sharp rise. <laughs> a point, can't mm. you? It's a really kind of point. It's like... Um... At the end of EastEnders, and there's a cliffhanger, but it's yeah. like it's like two characters hugging, but one of the characters is looking over the shoulder with like a a really sort of <laughs> serious face, like I'm about Instantly. to betray you and give you to the religious leaders. But that always it always looks so like sorry. exaggerated. Yeah, you always think, oh, that can't be true. You'd never actually do that. Um, but then it does happen, doesn't it? Yeah. I wonder what type of kiss it was. Not in the, like, a, like obviously, would it have been an intimate type moment for Judas? Because we say that 
he regrets what he does. We know that. So was this a almost for him? Was you know, one side was he really kind of just like I'm going to kiss him on the cheek, peck. That's your guy, or was it a more intimate moment where he kind of? Because I think is it the passion? Um, what's the film called? It was the passion, passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ, where he kind of has one hand on his shoulder and then sort of like almost like a slow kiss on the cheek. And then that's when I wonder if for that moment, Judas is almost saying, I'm sorry. Um, Because they don't mention Judas anymore. So what happens then? Does he run off just consoling himself or is he just... Well, because he probably knows in that moment it's the last time that he's going to, like it could be the last time that he comes into contact with Jesus and it's... You know, if he regrets his decision to betray him, he might have decided that he wished he hadn't done it, but there's no going back now. So it's almost like, yeah, maybe it's possible that he's like, oh, this is the last chance I have to show my true feelings to yeah. Jesus. I don't know. And I think that's when I I read this whole thing where he's like, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Almost like he knows in that moment that, that Judas is like heartfelt, sincerity with that moment like oh i can tell you really don't want to do this you regret it almost um yeah see i don't know if i see it like that at all i think the way i see it jesus is like is that how you're going to do it but i do agree with you in the way it was done like it's definitely slow-mo like in my imagination in my like as i said to you like i see it in like the movie way he's got his hand on his shoulder and it happens and it's like really light. Or like, or like hand like that or something. No, I don't think because like that's romantic. Them. No, but like kiss and he, They wouldn't have touched their faces. Probably, they probably wouldn't have touched faces. But they kissed a man back then, that's what I was... Yeah, they would have. That's sort of how they would have greeted. So I do think, yeah, there's... It's, it's, quite, um, it's quite a powerful thing, really, because we think of the kiss as a very kind of... It's like when you were saying back earlier, Joe, about the contrast. A kiss is not something we associate with betrayal or or anything bad necessarily mm. we see it as a sign of love and affection and greeting and hope and strong bond whereas this signifies something very different so it's quite a powerful yeah. that it would be mm. used that way because they could have used anything they could have he could have just touched him on the shoulder he could have um, pointed from a distance <laughs> yeah, yeah he could have stood next to him yeah. it's the one with the halo <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's really interesting Definitely. Well, just to, just to go back to that thing of Lucy saying, I never know which version I should listen to, and they're all slightly different. I always take that as a sign that we need to discern for ourselves what the truth is, and we shouldn't just go, the NIV is my version, or King James is my version, but like we should read lots of different versions and read commentaries and talk to people and like really study and reflect and not have a fixed idea of which one is the truth. I think that's really important. And to me, the fact that there are different versions is almost like a sign that we're supposed to have our own view on these things and a view that we come to through study and reflection. Um, Because I think that's what takes us from being religious followers to people who have a personal relationship with God. 100%. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, totally agree. I think there's just... um... Because everybody can read the same passage differently. I think that's the other thing as well. When you're re- all reading one translation, you know, you can get almost caught up in that. But if we're all reading different ones, like, you know, 
like in previous episodes, we've kind of mentioned the message or the passion or ESV or whatever. They're all all are, you know all have very different language as well, and, and you know different interpretation as well, which is always really interesting. And I think that's where for us, I think I don't yeah, I'm sort of saying on behalf of all of us, but I think we do see so much value in that because we're kind of reading you know like last episode with the whole swords thing <laughs> reading the message like, no 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 more sword talk kind of thing and <laughs> just a really blatant like that is enough kind of thing in another translation so i think it just broadens like you say joe doesn't it your kind of personal understanding of it mm. i was just reading um one of the bible commentaries that i really love and it had this line it has two kind of like a couple of bullet points and two words next to the kiss that are really powerful the line about jesus betraying him with the kiss and it's must the badge of friendship be the instrument of treachery and i was like whoa was ever a love token so desecrated and abused nothing can be of greater amount of grief to jesus than to be betrayed and be betrayed by a kiss by though by the man who professed relation to him and affection to him. So I was Which, that. Did you say it was from a commentary? Yeah, it was on. Uh, it's um, the Jesus Bible one. So it's yeah, it, like treachery. It's like it sounds like the like the right word, doesn't it? At that time, like it feels really. But also, can you imagine what the other disciples would have been like at this time? Because you would have seen Judas approaching with a light kiss and think, "Oh, Judas is back," you know. Mm. But then see this mob of Roman soldiers with him and then it kind of be the moment turned so quickly, you would have been a bit confused. Would they have begun to twig that this was what Jesus was talking about earlier? Would they have, I mean, mm. they had just woken up from a little power nap, so maybe they're a bit hazy. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's yeah. quite interesting that they slept. That he took them to the garden to pr- like, and he went to pray and they just fell asleep. Well, what I find interesting is like, in this it says, um, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And mine says drugged by grief. That's the message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I'd sleep with grief. Does that make sense? I don't I think I'd be like, you'd be more awake, wouldn't you? But yeah, I feel like, I feel like you'd want to be asleep with grief because, like, when you got a lot on your mind, you're like, oh, I just want to go to sleep and yeah, shut off. Like, yeah, but but so often I'm like, I can't sleep, can't stop thinking about that. Yeah. But what are they grieving? Yeah. I was actually thinking that. Are they all grieving, like, personal thing about who's going to betray Jesus? Because in the context of the Bible, the Last Supper has just happened and they do believe that it followed consecutively. They left the Last Supper to go to the garden gethsemane and so are they grief is there grief and sorrow from what is about to happen because jesus has just said this maybe he's explained a little bit more on the walk and they're grieving knowing what's about to happen Mm. but like in my head whenever i think about this they're just in their own little bubble and they like they don't really understand what's going on so maybe that's a sign anyway they're so busy thinking about themselves and their own grief even though they don't even really understand what's going on. That's, maybe that's why Jesus is so annoyed, or he seems so annoyed, like we said, because he comes along, they're all asleep because they're all upset, and he's like, oh, for goodness sake, you're not even the ones having to go through all this. Yeah. Or maybe I'm massively speculating. <laughs> maybe the sword talk really 
hit them. Yeah, they wanted much more sword talk, and he yeah. said no more sword no talk. No more sword talk. talk. Boys. They wanted more. <laughs> but. Oh, yes, Mrs. Mann. <laughs> In verse 49, Jesus' followers saw what's going to happen and they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Mm. Mm. Mine says, um, Master, shall we fight? I love that. <laughs> shall we fight? It's like bored. Um, shall we fight? <laughs> yeah. Have they not learned anything about Jesus? Like, he doesn't fight. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, he said no more sword talk. And then like, yeah, I was like, they're like, should we fight? Swords? For goodness sake. Is now the right time to fight? <laughs> This is what we were saying last time when we were wondering whether Jesus would have um, condoned them having swords or fighting. Mm. So they like offered to fight with their swords, and then one of them does. Peter cuts off the ear of the servant, and then Jesus says, that's enough of this. Have I not told you? Sort of thing, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, you'd kind of be a bit disappointed if you were Jesus, wouldn't you? You've been teaching them for three years all of these things about turning the other cheek. You know, We know he said those things about... Our violence isn't the answer. He said before, you know, no more sword talk. We don't want this. This is about, you know, what is about to happen. It's not about this. <laughs> they go and do this. Mm. You'd be a bit like, it'd be like when I was a teacher and you'd said something repeatedly to these kids and they do it and you're like, are you listening to me? <laughs> yeah, you must be like, oh, for goodness sake, like I've, I've got like barely a few days, a few more days left and you're like, you still haven't got any of it. He must just—he so, must have been feeling pretty rubbish about his teaching prospects. Yeah. <laughs> okay, probably not, but that's what I like to imagine. Yeah. Like hitting his head on a stone, like. Oh, he's, just, <laughs> like <can't> <laughs> it's like great. I've got the stupid class. <laughs> yeah. Got the low set. Brilliant. <laughs> Who picked these guys? Oh, it was me. <laughs> yeah. I think there's just—I was just thinking, like, a little bit off topic in one aspect, but. It makes me really sad, but then it makes me think, actually, this is really true with like moments in our own lives. But the vulnerability of Jesus in the whole thing and people taking advantage of that. So, like, yeah, obviously he's in this place where he's really vulnerable. He's talking to his father and he's probably the most human he's been because he's like, I'm petrified for death. I know it's coming, Lord, but if there's another option, please let me have that. Um, and then he, even at the end, where he's like, have you come out against me as robbers with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. It's almost like in that vulnerability, he's like being taken advantage of. That was a good point, John. The other bit that stood out to me was the very last verse that you read, John, um, verse 53 where Jesus is saying, well, just before that as well, he's saying, basically, do you think I'm a criminal that you need to capture me with, like, violence? Didn't I show you that I was a peaceful person in the temples? You mm. could have seized me at any time, but you've chosen to do it in the darkness of night, um, which is your time. It belongs to you and the Prince of Darkness, which sounds really, like, dramatic and mm. Mm. over the top, but it's just another sort of a symbol of those times and how how it is so true isn't it mm. that this darkness is like a reflection of the people that did this to jesus and uh it's another sort of it's another like literary device isn't it earlier we had the um dramatic irony of judas kissing jesus and the readers knowing what 
that symbolizes and now you've got like pathetic fallacy of it being the dark of night and them using the darkness as cover to hide this horrible thing that they're doing i don't know if that's technically correct that it's a pathetic fallacy but that's what i remember from <laughs> gcse english there we go yeah my um subheading in the message for this bit is a dark night and i feel like yeah it has a lot of connotations doesn't it darkness two things i yeah i really like agree when you said that lucy because it really struck me the line as well about how um because mine doesn't say it like that but you chose to come in darkness in the night would have there been more of an uprising if he had if they'd done it in the day in front of people mm-hmm. they chose to do it you know if they'd done it in the temple that would have caused so much hysteria because that's not something that should have been done and he was healing people and he'd ridden in on a donkey and they laid the palm leaves out for him and he was celebrated but they chose to do it when there was no crowds around very kind of secretive and then they were and then they were going to spoiler alert manipulate it for the trial later you know they were going to then throw it to the people but they had done the manipulation by when they do that by portraying him differently so it was very cunning on their part to do it that way in the darkness but also it is prophesized in our good old friend Zachariah because he remember when we talked about the donkey he prophesized all of the things about the Palm Sunday he's reliable he also prophesized that the day of the Lord would be coming when the Lord would stand upon the Mount of Olives ready for battle and would be king over all the earth so that is you know he did so the Mount of Olives is where Garden of Gethsemane is it kind of lies around there so again we're seeing all of these things are being foretold in in the old testament which again just speaks kind of to the power of all these things you know they knew they were to come but they had to happen and that's kind of what like what jesus's moment in the garden when he's saying i know what's about to happen doesn't mean i'm going to like it it's like when we've said before about when we've had to have an injection or when you go to the dentist and you know something horrible is about to happen i mean not compa- i'm not comparing it <laughs> it's the same thing but <laughs> It's almost, you know it's about to happen, but it's still not nice, but that doesn't mean you're going to want to go through it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's not, this, it's not something nice, but you know it's got to have to happen. It's going to have to happen. So it's just one of those things. Obviously, the Jesus dying on a cross is way worse than going to the dentist and having your teeth mm-hmm. out. But It's also worse than choosing your bread in Subway, but I still get a bit scared about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a tough choice, isn't it? So yeah, arty Italian or herb and cheese. I get it. Or go maverick and get a flatbread. Anyway. Oh yeah. Yes, the crucifixion. I agree. But also, it is relative. Like obviously, facing death is the worst thing Jesus has ever faced. But perhaps going to the dentist, having your teeth out, is the worst thing you've ever faced. So in that respect, you can compare it because it's our relative fears, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think. We should actually read on to the next section, Ooh. which is because it continues straight on the story, and it's when Peter denies that he knew Jesus. So, John, do you want to read again? So it'll be verses 54 to 62. Thank you, Pokey. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. 
And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Um, I know it's not funny, but he made me laugh how the first one he was like, woman. And the next one he was like, man. Yeah, like, come on. Read the name badges. <laughs> yeah. Just have a little respect. Also, it's like, just that that's how he would address, them. I guess if you don't know their name, you would say that. But it just, Would you? It just made me laugh. He's like, woman. I wouldn't go up to someone. Man. <laughs> Hello, man. Yeah. My name is I'd John. I'd go, boy, you. Yeah. But in our context, in here, when you go, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it almost sounds like, man. You know, like we say, oh, man. Man, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. And I always find when they say woman, it always sounds really patronising. Yeah, it does. It's like, shut up, woman, almost, isn't yeah. it? Like, well, mine's girl. Mine goes, what are you talking about, girl? <laughs> we're talking about girl. I well, don't know him. At least he's consistent, though, eh? Well, no, because then he doesn't say the gender of the next one. Oh, in mine he does. Because gender relevant. Message he says, girl. He's more consistent. And then he says, neither the other ones. and I, Neither gender for the other ones. And I just thought, maybe that's interesting or relevant. Maybe not. Okay. So. Far away. Uh, John's translation is exactly the same as mine. John Nisi, what does your translation say? In the message, it says, Just then, the master turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered what the master had said to him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Mine's a bit longer, and I think it's actually a bit clearer. It says, At that moment, the Lord, who was being led through the courtyard by his captors, turned around and gazed at Peter. All at once, Peter remembered the words Jesus had prophesied over him. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Because when you were reading, I thought, oh, where's Jesus suddenly come from? I yeah, thought, yeah, I was thinking. I thought Peter was away. And <laughs> I can't remember, he'd gone somewhere. But then that's where the Passion Translation, I think, is a bit clearer. So Jesus was being led through this courtyard that Peter was in. Mm. And that's why he suddenly <laughs> turned up. <laughs> yeah. Because it does say they seized him, took him away, and then he followed in the distance. But then when he got to the crowd, there. So Jesus, Peter was kind of trying to stay in the background. Mm. But how I almost imagine it is like Jesus is at the front, Peter is at the back, and then someone was like, "Wait, aren't you the one who did da da?" And then he tries to slip away, but he gets yeah. closer, and then someone else is like, "You're the yeah. one." He gets closer, and then he's finally there. Yeah, and then someone again sees him. That's. Mm. But it does seem strange. But but maybe it refers to Pete, um, Peter's conscience or, you know, God's guiding voice in his head. So, but it, it is, I think it is slightly confusing the way it's written, but maybe that's intentional. Well, actually, my, I can't remember what yours said at the start of mine, though. So Jesus had been led away and then they were in a courtyard um, and somebody, someone had built a fire. So Peter inched closer and sat down among them to stay warm and a girl noticed Peter sitting in the firelight. So he had sort of gone to the centre of the crowd to be near this fire. And then I guess it was there that Jesus was led past. So Peter was already in sort of in the centre of this courtyard. Mm. So I, just, I was just sitting and reading it, thinking like, again, it comes down to the fact of who wrote this down. 
it's just Peter going back, you know, in a year or so time talking about it and Luke jots it down. Or is this Peter almost saying this as soon as he got back to the disciples? Do you know what I mean? So it's almost like certain bits have probably been missed out. Like actually, yeah, did did Peter try to rush to the front of the crowd so he could see Jesus one last time before he was taken off? Or was he actually cloak over his head? Because I think, I think, again, it's the, the Passion of the Christ. They, they always show Peter covering up, almost like a spy in the background, like trying not to be seen. But actually, in my head, if it was, <laughs> I'd like to think if it was me, I'd be like, I need to get a last glimpse of this guy. Like, I, I love this guy. <laughs> yeah, I followed him for three years. You'd think you'd be trying to get to the front. So like this whole thing about sitting in the fire light would probably be like always oh, near the front of the courtyard I could see Jesus I don't know so I've just been reading the, this line again because it's really I've never really thought about this before but the line that says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter then people Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him Jesus doesn't betray Peter he doesn't say he doesn't say yes he is the one who I know him he just looks at him how powerful in that moment mm that although Peter betrays Jesus, Jesus doesn't betray Peter. He just looks at him. There's a contrast again. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's that, you know, in our, for us as human beings, if we were, if we had just been betrayed, we would have been like, yes, you do know me. You know, we'd have argued back because, but Jesus, he just looks at him. And I remember when I've read this before, like people can speculate what type of look that could have been. It could have been a, angry lookers as if to say you call yourself a disciple you do this you know or a look of just blank of just hurt and betrayal but in my eyes Jesus would have just looked at him in that way of like loving ways to say it's okay mm. I know you're gonna do this I'm, I love you and almost with like that like cheeky but not cheeky in a sense but just that like charm of Jesus just being say it's okay child just do what you need to do. I'm not going to rat you out. Mm. And almost that's kind of, kind of worse, isn't it? You know, when you betray somebody and they kind of say, well, I love you anyway. That's mm. almost worse, isn't it? It's almost like when somebody says, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. <laughs> mm. That's yeah. almost what this is. It's not, he doesn't respond, retaliate. He just kind of looks at him as to say, I'm not going to rat you out or I'm going to allow you to go free. And that's yeah. so powerful. Mm. Passion Translation says, Jesus turned around and gazed at Peter. And I think that gaze is more what you're describing than like a look, isn't it? And it's like he's letting Peter figure out for himself what's happened. And rather than being like, see, I told you so, he's making Peter process and like take in this massive thing that's just happened by himself. I just was thinking just now about the instance where a little bit earlier in the Gospels, you hear of Peter getting out of the boat and walking to Jesus. And in that moment, there probably was a gaze from Jesus to Peter. And I'm wondering if, again, you know, I don't know if you know the story of you know, the, you know, that, that particular story in the Bible where Peter gets out and he loses his faith and he, uh, he, loses, he kind of starts to uh, drown. And Jesus says to him, oh, you have little faith. And I wonder if within that gaze, if Peter almost reminisced of that. And that kind of mindset of, oh, crap, here we go again, <laughs> almost thing. Like you do in, in life, you think, oh, I failed him again. And I wonder if in that, you know, in that gaze, 
you know, there was almost that flashback to walking on the waves kind of thing. That just really, yeah, I got goosebumps thinking of that. And I thought, I better, I just feel like saying that because I wonder if there is a, almost a similarity in the, in the way that they looked at each other. This is what's so interesting to me about the story, though. I still can't quite get my head around Peter's response mm. because I understand denying Jesus. Because, I mean, you know, a lot of Christians do that every day. You know, not even me. I mean, I do it. And, you know, lots of people do it. Whether it's outright saying you're not a Christian because you don't want to be laughed at through to just your behaviour. So I understand that bit. But mm. I think it's when it's so fresh in your mind, that conversation earlier with where Jesus has said to you, as we looked at in the previous episode, where he says, you're going to deny me. And Peter's so adamant that he's not going to deny him. And then just a few hours later, there he is denying him. I just find that so interesting. Because mm. in this account, you don't get to see what's going on in the in the different people's minds. No. You don't get, you know, when you read a novel, you often get the uh, inner thoughts and feelings of the characters. But you don't get that here. So you don't get a sense that Peter hesitates before he says that he doesn't know him. Or why is he denying Because maybe he's just seen the consequences of Jesus being who he is because he's just been arrested and taken off. So it's likely that there's that fear in there, but we don't get that sense of one hour he's saying he would never deny him and a few hours later he is. Mm. What's changed for him? I just find that interesting and I, mm. I never quite feel comfortable in myself understanding that thought process. Mm. I think it speaks quite powerfully this bit of all how how often we like like you said Joe we betray Jesus but yet how quickly and how freely and willingly Jesus will always love us back mm. you know all the things that we can do we can't understand you know Peter's actions but we don't you know and we sometimes can't even understand our own actions you know sometimes we in the past if we ever deny Jesus and it's not necessarily just saying oh I don't know Jesus there's lots of ways that you can deny Jesus in the way that we think you know not behaving in the right ways and in a sense denying Jesus you know doing things against that are not of Christ-like nature and love and lovingness is denying Jesus mm. but you know Jesus doesn't not love us in no sense so it's it's so powerful in mm. that sense to know that Jesus can know we're going to do that. He can witness, he can physically be there, a part of that betrayal, but still refuse to turn away from us. He still continues to go to that cross. Mm. He still makes that journey there. And I, it's, it's just, I think in our humanness, it's just not even comprehensible to us, is it? That something like that can happen because that's just so not of our nature to be like that. You know, we would never consider to do something like that because it's not of us. Only... Only Jesus could, could witness that, you know, we've all probably been betrayed by people and it's really hard, you know, that's actually something that I've really been trying to work on about forgiveness of things and people and how, like, we, you know, it's so important to practice what you preach. Mm. Like, but it's really hard. It is really hard to do that when there are things and situations where you've been hurt, but, and I'm not by no means there anyway, but it's something that I just ask God to help me with every day because it's what I need and mm. um, this is a powerful reminder to me that to get to the cross to get to that place that you know uh, 
I, we have to try. We have to work at that every day. Mm, I was actually thinking of an army example just then of how we make our soldiership promises to, you know, live a certain way, not drink, etc. And then it gets to that social situation where you're in the pub and all your mates are like, oh, let's get a drink. And you're like, oh, should I tell them I don't drink because I follow Jesus? Or should I just go along with it so I don't look stupid? And uh, that's not from personal experience. It's not something I've ever done. But it happens all the time. We see it all the time. Mm. And I think we judge each other for it, don't we? We go, oh, <laughs> I've heard that, that person's been having a drink. Mm. How could they sort of thing? But like you said, Joe, you don't see the social situation, how difficult that actually can be to to overcome that social expectation that's put on you by those people around you and how difficult it is to extract yourself from that and say, no, Jesus is how I live mm. and I'm not going to go along with what you're doing because I don't actually believe it. So, yeah, mm. it can happen in any way to any of us and it does. Mm. I think that's almost like the takeaway from this whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've fallen on that really nicely. I mean, there's whatever we do, however we deny Jesus, however we you know, betray Jesus in our lives, he always gaze back at us with love and affection and grace, which we never always understand. We, you know, we're sinful beings. <laughs> we always wonder well, yeah, how he can keep loving me. And he does. And I think that Peter was obviously in that moment. Um, and I think that's probably why he does go out and weep. Because he must realise, actually, how does this guy even love me? One, I've failed him on a number of occasions. Now I'm denying the guy and he still looks at me with a, with a sort of glint in his eye that he loves me. I mean, that's kind of a takeaway, isn't it, really, from it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else that is significant that you guys take mm. away from all of this? It's quite a lot, isn't there? We've, um... I think it's just those contrasts I've mentioned, I think. I think it's that contrast between however good we think we are, there's always like a totally different idea that Jesus has for us. Even in the story, we see so many examples of the behaviour of the disciples, who are probably some of the best Jesus followers around, and yet the contrast to what Jesus actually wants them to be doing. I think it's just a reminder to not be complacent and to always be striving to be more like him. Mm. Yeah, I think there's so much in this for me. It sounds weird to say, but I I think if somebody was to say to me, if there's a point in any place that you, you know, particularly resonates with you, the Garden of Gethsemane really is one of those powerful moments. I can read it again and again, and I, I genuinely do feel very taken over like by the Holy Spirit when I read this it really gives me goosebumps and some of the things tonight we've been speaking have really like given me goosebumps because I find it such a powerful example of living and of these things you know this was the moment when Jesus took on the weight of humanity the emotions of humanity he felt things he cried things he you know as we do as we will and allowed that to kind of the bridge to happen here between us and, and God so there's it's really powerful and then all the way through that you know we've explored a new thing that I haven't considered before you know that look back there's just so much from this it's just a reminder that mm. we are going to fail we will we will fail and others will fail but actually to, I think Peter's reflection you know he's reminded of what Jesus says to him and that's what's important you know we should be reminded of that you know that at the end of the day 
Jesus is the only one that we should look to in those moments. We shouldn't be judging others and of their actions. And it's going back to, you know, casting the stone. Mm. We should try to remember that we will make, we will fail. You know, yes, people make mistakes and the Bible does call us to, to call stuff out sometimes, but we all are going to make mistakes on this journey. And it's actually about being loving and being a little bit more like Jesus rather than making a comment, highlighting someone's failures. Let's journey with them. Let's love and support them. Let's do what Jesus did and not shine a torch on them. Let's not out them in the crowd. Let's just look at them with love and say, and be the example of what things should be mm. in all of that. Amen. Amen to that. Boom. So thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you've found something to take away from this podcast. Um, we'll be back again sooner than you may think with the next instalment of the Easter story. So we hope you can join us for that. Thanks for listening. Bye. See ya. Bye.